Hi, everybody. I have some exciting news. I am launching a Substack. I know. I keep telling you how I'm not a writer, and I'm still not a writer, but I am going to be writing about reading over on Substack. The Substack is called Unstacked, and you can find it at tracythomas.substack.com. There will be free options every Friday. There'll be a bunch of weekly roundups, announcements, all the shit I'm into. And then if you want to upgrade yourself to the paid subscription, I'm going to have author interviews, bonus episodes, anticipated reads, book pairings, community chats, all sorts of stuff. So, If that sounds like something you'd be into, go to tracythomas.substack.com and join Unstacked. And of course, I've got a special offer for you. If you go to tracythomas.substack.com slash the stacks 10, you get 10% off your first year membership of Unstacked. You have from now until April 4th to redeem. Again, that's tracythomas.substack.com slash the stacks 10 for 10% off Unstacked. Okay, that's enough. Let's listen to this episode. We're back for another episode of The Stacks. I'm your host, Tracy Thomas. And before we dive into the episode this week with our guest, Zeke Smith, I have some things I want to share with all of you. First, I just want to say that I've been so blown away by the outpouring of support for this podcast. Um, I wanted to take the time now and just thank you all for listening to the show and reading along with us and, you know, telling your friends and all of that. I have loved watching this community of readers grow, and I'm just so thankful to be here talking with all of you about books. Um, Many of you have reached out asking for ways you can help spread the word and help share the show and all that. So I have a few ways you can help us grow. Um, The first one being just tell your friends. Post about it on social media. Tell your friends in real life. If you're listening to us through Apple Podcasts, make sure you rate and review the show. That helps get the word out to other people. Um, This week, we got an awesome review from Searching in Dubai, and they said, this is an amazing podcast for any book lover and people looking to learn about writing and story. Tracy asks all the questions I want to know and explores the topics in a way that makes the content and information easy and approachable. A great podcast and a treasure of a find. Thank you so much for that awesome review. Um, If y'all haven't done so yet, please take a moment. Just leave your review. Another way you can support the show is by contributing to the stacks through Patreon. If you're not familiar, Patreon is a membership website that allows you to be a part of the bookish community we're creating here. Um, All it takes is as little as a dollar a month. Once you contribute, you're a member of the stacks pack and you get inside access to the show, like finding out guests in advance, helping us to pick future books and exclusive giveaways. Patreon allows the stacks to create the content you all love and still retain full control over the integrity of the show. If you're looking for more of the stacks and want to connect with other lovers of the show, check out our Patreon page at patreon.com slash the stacks. Patreon is spelled P-A-T-R-E-O-N. So that's patreon.com slash the stacks. In all honesty, if it weren't for Patreon, it would be nearly impossible to make this show. So thank you all so much if you've joined the Stacks Pack. And if you haven't yet, it's never too late. Did you know that if you're a shopper of Amazon, you can actually help the Stacks by clicking through the links in our show notes or on our website before you shop? The Stacks earns a small commission on any of these purchases, and it comes at no cost to you. It's easy. You click the link, you shop, and you feel really good knowing that you're helping your favorite podcast. Okay, let's get on with the show. Our guest this week is Zeke Smith. Zeke is a writer and a transgender activist. You might also know him from his turn on the reality TV show Survivor. I'm very excited for you to hear our conversation, so let's get to it. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to The Stacks. I am here today with Zeke Smith. If you watch Survivor, you might know Zeke. He was on two seasons of Survivor. But you might not know that Zeke is also a writer and he's a trans activist. So welcome to the show, Zeke. Hi. Thank you. It's always so funny to be called a trans activist. I, I'm so curious about this. Normally I would be like, tell me about yourself, but we're going to start here and then we'll talk about your life. Right. So <laughs> like if you know me from Survivor or if you don't know me from Survivor, the chances are you know me as that trans guy who was outed on Survivor. Uh which is just very funny that that's like you have a you go on a reality show and there's you sort of have a personal tragedy and then that becomes the thing for which you are most well known. Uh, but uh, yeah, so I, I, I guess anyone who is a transgender person in the public eye in whatever capacity 
automatically becomes a transgender activist. Because there's just not so much representation. Right. So yeah. anybody that people can identify with as or people can identify as a person a trans person becomes becomes a an voice actress. of the community. Yes. Uh, which is a problem. Well, I mean, invisibility is certainly a sure. problem. Well, uh, and also that people who maybe aren't interested in be bearing that you know, bearing the weight of a whole community. Yes. You know, like who maybe just like want to be an actor or maybe just like want to go on Survivor. Yes. And I think that, which is like a reason why I thought, well, we just don't need to talk about this part of my life. This is about me and my little adventure and starving and voting people out. Right. And whatever. Um, but it does. Like once people know that you are trans, that becomes the thing you are known for and that people can ask you about and talk right. about. I I also happen to be gay. Right. But uh, very few people are, like, interested on my thoughts on popular culture. Actually, I don't pay much attention to popular culture. I'm a terrible homosexual. <laughs> uh, so it's good that they don't. Um, uh, but, uh, yeah, and it, it, what's so interesting for me, too, is before I went on Survivor, uh, I was a comedian, and I used the past tense because – over the past two years, my life has been consumed with molding myself into a person who can actually live up to this title of transgender activist and role model. I'm also right. a role model oh, of course as well, you are. Uh, which is not something that one would attribute to my life were they to look at my life before <laughs> I was on Survivor. And so because I, I'm a comedian and I'm a writer, I'm a person who wants to have a continued public presence. I... Uh, that I like have this label already out there and can't shake it no matter how hard I try. Sure. You then have to develop yourself into the person that people expect you to be. That's so interesting. Yes. Do you feel like that sucks? Or do you feel like it's, I mean, or do you feel like it's an honor? I, I guess it I, could be I, both things. I, I used to fight it a lot. I used okay. to like gnash my teeth and like, like <laughs> why? Uh, but, uh, so I work with this organization called uh, GLAD, which yes. promotes LGBT representation in the media. And in particular, this one dude, the director of transgender media, his name is Nick Adams. Uh, I, I love him so dearly. He's like my father. And he, you know, he knows all of like the, the story of me being like, I fucking hate this. I don't want to. Don't right. make me do this. And he's like, well, sorry, dude. Like, you, it's, not about, it's not just about you anymore. And he got me into mentoring trans youth in LA. Mm -hmm. So once a month I go and work with trans high school and college students and working with them has been such a transformative experience mm. for me because I think a thing about being trans that maybe I didn't always really appreciate is how lonely an experience it is because yeah. you grow up and you know I have always sort of fundamentally understood myself to be a dude but the world just didn't see me that way. Uh, and I didn't have a name for it or really understood why, like, I just did everything wrong growing up. And no mm. matter how hard I tried, I couldn't connect with other people. Uh, and then I got a name for that when I was 18 and put the pieces together by I was by the time I was 20. But I uh, never really in my life have I been surrounded by other trans people or trans men or had role models or mentors or anyone to give me any sort of sense of guidance about who to be in the world. Right. I just had to make it up on my own. Um, you know, often we talk about sometimes you're the only person of color in the room sure. or the only woman in the room. I'm always the only transgender person within 10 miles of wherever right. I am. Right. Uh, and, you know, I think that's something I've struggled with is like, I, I'm always just trying to make up how to be in the world and now I'm in a room with a bunch of guys and I'm like, oh, all of the things that I figured out on my own, I can now give – I can bestow right. upon them and maybe they won't be so lonely or maybe they can find a better path to do it sure. and have my experience as you know, uh, kind of uh, an experiment to either go from like, – you know, veer away from or, or follow. So uh, I used to really hate it, but now I'm so in love with these boys Got and it. giving them the opportunity for a future that I – I didn't have right so I'm I'm so into it now what's the name of that organization it's called transforming families okay I'm gonna put a link to that in the show notes in case people want to check it out or donate or whatever because I as I I used to work in nonprofits that you could all use help in that arena so yes definitely. I'll put that in there um, that's awesome work that you're doing and I, I love that that has helped you on your journey like how to accept 
this thing that happened to you. So I want to backtrack a hair oh, sure. so that people, cause we kind of like dove into it, yes. but part of your, you know, outing as being trans came in like maybe one of the most public ways possible. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, I guess, I guess so here's the story. Uh, I, uh, have was a big survivor fan for a very long time. And then I was like, I'm going to play survivor. Uh, but because what I'd hoped to turn Survivor into was a platform for these really dirty comedy videos that I used okay. to make with my friends back in New York <laughs> City. I didn't want to talk about being trans for the reasons that we've already expanded upon. Right. Uh, and so I played one season and was, like, I guess predicted to be a, a fan favorite because before it aired, like, literally weeks after it stopped filming, I went and did another season. And in the middle of that season, which would air right after my first season, like, this really mean gay guy outed me as transgender in front of everyone. And Yo. it was like a thing on the show, on the show, like um, in a council or something. Yes. And in, in tribal council, like as a, I don't watch the show. I used to when it first started, but I remember that phrase. Yes. Yeah. Everyone. <laughs> yeah, I think people that's in the zeitgeist. Right? If you're, yeah. I think over 26 years old, you're aware of like tribal council. Yeah. And, and like voted, voted off the, off the island. island. Even if you've never seen it, you right. understand what, because they're all, they're also mirrored in every other, everything else. Right. Show. Uh, yeah, in a try to, he was going to get voted out in an attempt to save himself. He was like, you know, Zeke's, uh, you know, deceitful and deceptive and he's trans and every, but I think the. That's so crazy. Yeah. <laughs> but what is also crazy about it is I think four years ago, everyone around me would have been like, oh, you tricky T word. Like, we are going to vote you out. And things really would have yeah. gone south for me. But instead, everyone, including a very conservative Christian cop from Iowa, was like, no, that was but, mean. You don't do that. And we you're still, still did he still too. get voted off? He so yeah, we didn't okay, it was the first time ever in the show's history that uh we didn't go into the booth to vote someone out. That oh. even the host was like, We're just he's he's terrible. We're just sending him home and everyone's like, Yeah, we're sending him home. Is the host still Jeff Probst? Jeff Probst. Yeah. That's right. Okay. He is both the host and the executive producer. So he is the alpha and the omega. Of That's Survivor. like Chris Harrison everything. on Bachelor. Do not dare you compare jeff probst to okay i just meant that he's the host and he's like an executive producer well no but jeff probst is the showrunner oh chris okay. harrison is I in see. name an executive I producer see, to get more money to get an executive he actually is the one who is in right control. jeff probst is like the real deal host of a reality show yeah jeff's a very smart guy and i think jeff and i jeff has been great and he has he had mentored me through that whole situation sure. uh and it's you know I think Jeff has always sort of understood where I'm coming from with the not wanting with the like chafing against the the trans label and what that sure. requires because Jeff is a very smart guy. Jeff is a writer, but everyone sees him as this dumb game show host. Right. And so he also I think butts against this idea of labels and understands wanting to be seen as more. I think that's something that on different levels almost everyone can relate to, right? That like you are seen as one thing or labeled as one thing even though you feel yourself and know yourself to be something different than that. Yes, and, and what's so wild is that that's a very universal right, experience. Right, it's so universal. And yet what we all want to do is just put other people in Right, to be like, oh, Zeke's trans. Like, yeah. okay, whatever. Because I, I think about – we I talk about this a lot on the show. Um, I'm a black woman, and I read a lot of nonfiction, which is a predominantly white male genre. Mm -hmm. And doing this podcast, like, I am – very grateful I'm able to get books for free from publishers. They'll send me books being like, we think you should read this. And I would say 90% of the books that I get are books that are a not in a genre that I like. So like chiclet or written by black people about like black experience or just like books, like fiction books about women. And it's just because I'm a black woman that I, but I don't see myself that way as a reader. Like, I like to read books about Charles Manson and like, like yeah. I like heavy, dark nonfiction and I get so like, even when I reach out to a publisher requesting a dark nonfiction book, they'll send me two books back, the book I asked for. And then the, this book about like a black girl's coming of age story. And I'm like, that's nice. And I'll read it. And like, it's fine, but it's just very interesting. Like, cause it's the same kind of thing. Like I see myself as one way and I identify myself as this kind of reader. This yes. is also so small scale. <laughs> um, but that other people want to push me towards this other label as how I'm perceived in the world. Right. Well, because it's, it's the, it seems like it's the tension between being a reader and being, again, a person with a public platform. Sure. Because all the publisher sees in you is like, oh, 
she's a bright young black woman right so we're let's going send her to bright give young her black things that, like because we think her audience can only be other people right. like her right so that's who she we want to give her books that she can sell to that audience right. but isn't the i know my love of reading is about jumping into worlds that are so different, different. from my own sure. i actually kind of like i am very poorly read in the genre of trans memoirs or trans literature sure. at all i i am so well read as far as military fiction and nonfiction. right any book that's ever been <laughs> written about the navy seals or army special forces i've read right like fiction or otherwise and i'm fiction sure if you reached out to a publisher and you're like send me a book they'd be like here's this trans narrative like right. here's this trans man who's here's a thing on... about a gay guy yeah and, and you're like that's nice like it's nothing against any of those books it's just like i don't that's not who I am. Like, why don't you see me? Right. I also don't need to read things that are about me. Like, right. I'm me every day. Sure. And I also appreciate, like, when something really connects to the universal, and I'm like, oh, this person is so different from me, mm -hmm. but I know exactly what that experience is. I feel is. that. I feel that. Yeah. That, like, totally. connection to humanity more broadly. Well, right. And I feel like, I mean, this is, I guess, I don't know. I, I have this thing where I'm like, I don't want to be political, but that's so who I am, so I don't fucking care. I'm sorry, I'm political. But that is something that's so, you know, we have turned identity into a weapon to use against people where it's like you're talking about your experience as a trans man and like being in the public eye and having having these feelings of like I don't want to bear this responsibility and I shouldn't have to because this was thrust upon me in this way and like all of that stuff is so universal if you just remove the label right but people want to be like this is a trans story and like of course your story is expressly trans and also expressly universal right and it's, people, it's particularly trans right but I think there's a lot of there's a lot of it of like who who am I like I'm also a kid for like I'm also a creative theater kid who right. grew up in central Oklahoma uh right. why did I think you were from Boston I just made I that went up. to college in Boston. Oh, okay <laughs> but cool. yeah like I'm just like a kid from Oklahoma who was always different and sure. worked really really hard in high school and wanted to like get out and go to the big city I uh, went to college in Boston that was complicated. Yeah, uh, I bet. Boston's a complicated place. I hate Boston. <laughs> I, I, you know, I haven't spent enough time there, but I've heard a lot of great stories about how inclusive that environment can be. Well, it's not even <laughs> – so I, I grew up in Oklahoma where every – and in, in particularly sort of this like I, – I like kind of like country club type okay. community mm -hmm. where everyone was – so opinionated and judgmental and mm -hmm. gossipy mm. and there was really just one way that you wanted to be in the world and anyone who veered off that path of boys are football mm -hmm. players and girls are cheerleaders were really treated like crap okay. um and not in a way that where people would come up to you and say mean things to you but you could just tell and like the parties you didn't get invited to or like the downcast look you would get sure. that you were just garbage mean girls yeah mean. and in my mind, I was like, well, I'm going to go to the, the East Coast that just legalized gay marriage. Mm. And Boston is this bat is, you know, this liberal bright city on a hill. And you get there and it's the exact same culture of judgment and exclusivity. It's just the politics are shifted. Sure. A little bit. Do you feel like that way about L.A. as well? Not in my experience. Okay. It's interesting. I feel I've... like there's pockets of that anywhere you go but some places that's like more culturally ingrained yeah i would say new york is my favorite city so i lived in new york for eight years after i or seven years after i, I graduated college and i love new york city i, I was just back there and new york city feels like it's the first place that ever feels like home and still does but la is the most livable place I've totally ever been. i totally agree i love new york i went to college there i was there for eight years also and i love new york but it's really hard to live in New York once you've lived in LA. It is. And I think <laughs> it just even though gosh, gosh, those East Coast winters. I the winters, I mean, I say that the first time I ever understood the term pound the pavement was once I'd moved to LA after living in New York. And I was like, that's right. That's what you did all day, every day. Yep. You had your full bag with your clothes for your audition and then your change of clothes for dinner and then your book and then your uh, you know, cosmetics in case you need to take a shower at a friend's right, house. Right, because and you don't have a car in New you York. Don't have you a just car, have your backpack. You just have your bag. So, like, I had one of those giant, like, long chomp bags that, like, every girl had, you know. Yes. Very comfortable flats, a lot of flat boots, you know, for walking through snow. And just, like, 
you're you leave the house at 7 a.m. and you come back at one in the morning and then you do it again the next day and you're walking all day every day. Yes. And it's just like it's a hard way of life. But New York is amazing. So yes, that's the trade off. Don't you think that that shared hardship gives you nor- New Yorkers a great sense of community? Sure. Like I always felt like New Yorkers were all in this together. Sure. I mean, not always, but there is like <laughs> there is an essential New Yorkiness. Well, that you're like because you're also coming into contact with humans. Like in LA, I think you the could... subway is yeah. the greatest tool of social change sure. because everybody rides the subway, which means you you get to see like the rich and the poor, and you are surrounded right. by people of color and people who are very different from you. And right. you're like, we do all live here because, and I think I feel it in LA. I definitely felt in Boston, and certainly in Oklahoma City. You can insulate yourself. You could not come into physical contact with another human for a whole week in LA. You get in your car, yeah. you drive, you get out. You know, maybe you say hi to the person at the grocery store, but like you could check yourself out by yourself. Like you really don't have to talk to a single person. Whereas in New York, like you at least have to be like, oh, sorry, I bumped you, or like, yes. excuse me. Get out of my way, depending on how New York you want to get. Um, okay, so you are from from Oklahoma, went to college in Boston. Then you moved to New York. Yeah. And then you do Survivor from New York? Yes. And then you come then to I L.A.? to L.A. Okay, so now we have your timeline. We kind of went backwards and all around through your life, but I do want to talk about Survivor, the show itself. Great. Did you have to do gross stuff? Uh, if by, like, not using toilet paper for over a month of being grossed up. No, I mean, like, did you have to eat bugs? Didn't eat bugs. Okay. But I did eat... We, we, <laughs> so eating bugs is a typical challenge. I thankfully never had to do that. Okay. But you do, uh, uh, like, eat sea snails, and you try... Because you don't, you don't eat. You are starving out there. Yeah. And if you really can only eat what you can forage. Got it. Aside from a little... They give you a small, a very, very small amount of rice. Um, and occasionally you'll win a challenge, and you, like, yep. eat 9,000 pizzas. Okay. Uh, and then you shit your brains out. Right. Uh, but oh, I think – like, And then you don't have toilet paper. Then you don't have toilet paper. <laughs> but I think the – and you like, you sleep in the dirt and you, you know, drink water with bugs in it. And it just – you're – but you adapt pretty quickly. Like the first couple of days you're like, oh, my God, I don't know. How am I going to sleep? And I'm, then you I, figure it out. Yeah. It's very interesting how the human condition just adapts itself. Sure. But I think that like you find yourself making these crazy decisions about – uh so the, th- the the food source that is most readily available is coconut, mm-hmm. but coconut is also a natural laxative. Mm. So you'll get to the point where you're eating so much coconut, and then you're just like have constant diarrhea. And what you use as toilet paper is sand and salt water. So you rub your butthole raw, oh and then God. you make the decision of like, well, do I eat a handful of coconut? And that's the only thing I'll eat today. But I know I'll have, like, the intestinal consequences. So maybe I just won't eat for four days. I'm so grossed out. So, yeah, you did gross stuff to answer my question. (laughs) Well, yeah, but I think, though, like, the physical gross stuff is not – is the least of it. That's the stuff, like, you're kind of, like, you look back and are a little proud on. Right. The crazy thing is, like, you agree to go be tortured. Right. uh, And then you – you go and you start torturing each other. Like the right. essence of Survivor is that you go and make really close friendships so that you can get your friends to do whatever you want. But then you turn on your friends and your friends turn on you. Sure. And it it really like destabilizes your ability to trust go. humans in the yeah, real world. It does. Yikes. And like because I got this terrible thing happened to me. Survivor paid for me to be in a very expensive therapy every week for a year. So Survivor oh. paid to fix me. That's but they nice. don't fix everyone other else. And Survivor alumni are really deranged. That makes sense. It re- like it really once you're done with it, they don't care about you and you're I sort see. of cast aside you cast away, if oh, you will. You're voted off their island. Yeah. And then people join this alumni network and they continue to sort of play Survivor with each other and mess oh, with each other. Yikes. And it's really yeah, I'm I'm so fascinated by this world of former reality show contestants. I mean, right? <laughs> Cause I mean, so I, I already outed myself a little bit, but I love The Bachelor and The Bachelorette. People and, do. And they have like crazy, like there's a network and there's like gotta be a Facebook group because they're always like all hanging out together and dating each other and like weird stuff. Well, there are all these charity events. Right. And they're always there. Yeah. There are people who like they work their day job, but then every weekend they go right. and are doing stuff with these other people because the there are also these fans, these rabid right. fans 
who think you're an actual celebrity like right. Brad Pitt or Angelina Jolie. Right. Again, not hip on the popular culture, so I have old references. That's fine. People uh, know who they are, I think. <laughs> uh, who, you know, I like, like fame is a drug. Sure. And the least of the fames is the reality show fame. It's like, do you know what poppers are? Drugs? The poppers, the drug poppers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So for those of, for for those of you who don't, who don't. Know, uh, poppers are a, uh, a, a sex drug popular in the gay community. And it's this inhalant that you inhale and it loosens your asshole. <laughs> but it also gives you this head rush. It's like ultimate ecstasy for like 30 seconds. And then afterwards, you have a terrible headache. You're inhaling chemicals. It's terrible for you. You should right. feel bad afterwards. Right. It is right and do punishment for your actions. <laughs> and that's sort of like reality fame. Right. It's you like have this moment hit. where it's like, uh, it's, and it's the greatest thing you've ever felt. But then afterwards, it makes you feel like a terrible person. There's like a hangover. Right. But I, like any drug, the more you do it, the like you, you make the, the badness mm. go away. But you also have to do more and more, more and, and more. More and more and more of it. And that's what I think people get this taste of fame. And then they just keep chasing it. And it, they'll do anything for it. Right. It's, it's very sad. Yeah. It's, it's sad. The consequences of reality television on the people that do it are, are tragic. But also, I feel like the consequences on the consumer as well. Like, because now we have all these people who are, like, quote, unquote, famous for having gone on reality shows who are, like, they're put up as, like, role models or people that we should want to be, like, even though it's just, like, I'm a pretty girl and I was one of 25 girls who tried to date a guy. Yeah. Or, like, I was on Fear Factor and jumped off a moving train. Like, now I'm famous, you know? Right. And it's like, or, like, all the, the housewives. The housewives. Like, in order to stay on that show and You have to commit fired, crimes. Yeah, you have to be a terrible person. Yeah, it's a pretty dark – it's a pretty – I had to stop watching after Teresa – Judici went to jail. Yeah. I was like, I actually have to stop watching. Yeah, I uh, Gloria Steinem called the Housewives minstrel shows for women. Sure, and I think that is sure. that is correct. Yeah, a lot. I mean, and like that's none of this is to shame people who watch reality TV because like I watch reality TV and like I think some of it's fun and entertaining. Sure, but this idea that like the people who go on reality TV should be held up in any way is really, I think, un. I think it's not. I don't think it's a good idea. <laughs> I mean, it's not like we got a president out of reality right, television. Right, sure, sure. <laughs> oh, my God. But, no, I think what it does is it it's like destabilizing our, our moral compasses. Right. Because, you know, I think when you're watching scripted television, we're aware that people are heroes and people are villains. Sure. But in reality television, the people who are villains are heroes because they make the most interesting television. Right. And it's – it's skewing our understanding of what good behavior what, yeah, is. Yeah, right. And, like, I also talk about this a lot. I'm a big sports fan. Are you into sports? Very much so. Okay. I often talk about this when people, like, get on certain athletes, generally black men, but also black women. It, I see it more with black athletes where it's like, oh, what kind of role model are you? And it's like, I'm not a role model. I'm a basketball player. Yeah. You know, like, it's like, I actually didn't sign up to tell your kid how to live their life. Now, granted, there are some athletes who choose that for themselves, like Colin Kaepernick. He's sure. chosen this life of activism and being a role model. And, you know, I, I fucking love him. But, like, you can't get mad at Cam Newton for saying something you don't like and be like, what am I supposed to tell my kids? I'm like, I don't know. Be a parent. You had a kid. Like, did you think you were just going to tell your kid, whatever the quarterback of the Carolina Panthers says, like, that's what you should do, you know? Yeah. And it's kind of like that with reality stars, too. It's like, oh, I can do that because they did it on reality TV. And, yeah. like, Bethany's rich, and she sells margaritas that are for skinny people. Like, yeah. so that's the answer. I mean, I think my being outed is a consequence of someone. So the guy who outed me, uh, had he was on the second season of Survivor, like, way back in 2001. And then he'd done an, another all-star season. But I think it's a concept of someone who was making, was doing something he thought was done on reality shows. Right. But who, if you, like, sat him down in a room and was like, is this something that you would do in your normal life? I think he would tell you no. Sure. But he was, like, doing the thing he thought was done right. on reality And he wanted shows. to be relevant, probably. Exactly. And I think because he was doing it on a reality show, he didn't think he was doing something wrong. That right. in that world, it would have been okay. That it was okay. Yeah. Do you talk to him? No. Would you talk to him? No. Good for you. I hate people who say that you have to forgive and be nice to people and all this bullshit. I mean, maybe well, you've I forgiven tried. him. I mean, yeah, I think I've forgiven like, him. Like, who cares? you know, 
Lord knows it must be as difficult as this was situation was on him. I can, was on me. I can only imagine it was more difficult on him, particularly because he got all the black backlash and I got all the love. Right. I did try to reconcile with him, but it just, you know, I think we had such vastly different experiences where I was made a hero and he was mm-hmm. made a villain. Mm-hmm. And I think it's not so much like what happened to us on the island as much as it was the public reaction which we'll never be able to reconcile because i i do sort of blame him for this wrench that got thrown in my life Mm -hmm. and i think he blames me for this wrench that got thrown in his whether or not that's fair right right. i think i he doesn't associate me with positive things and neither do i associate with him so i'm just like happy for him to go on his way and build his life and have happiness and love and whatever and sure I'm going to go do that for myself. Good for you. Okay. So here's the other thing about you that we haven't even talked about, but it's also like a huge part of your identity is that you're a writer. I'm a writer. Yeah. You are a comedy person writing comedy things. Yeah. Uh, before Survivor, I, I, I was a comedian. I used the past tense because I have kind of let that flame die a little bit, though I'm hoping to go resurrect it. Okay. Um, yeah. I was a comedian and I wrote, produced, directed, and performed in a couple of like web series and comedy videos that tended towards the like dark and dirty. Okay. Uh, and CBS made me take it all down for Survivor. Or I could be on Survivor, <laughs> of course. And then you know, in the wake of trying to become a role model, never kind of put that stuff back up. Got it. Uh, but so yes, this thing happened to me, and I wanted to because you know, with all the negative things I said about Survivor, it wasn't really positive experience for me. Sure. Um, I learned a lot about myself. I overcame a lot of obstacles and understood that I was capable of much more than I'd previously believed. And I wanted that to be the story and not so much like, oh my God, he's trans and we didn't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I wrote a series of articles for The Hollywood Reporter. And I'll link to those in the show notes as well. Yeah, about my Survivor experience and about this process of going from someone who was not a role model to learning how to fill those shoes. Mm-hmm. And from those... S, even though my desire was to be a you know a staff writer on a sitcom, mm-hmm. uh, I got literary agents, I got book agents seeking to represent me, and they're like, "Hey, write a book." And I never thought about writing a book before. I mean, I had, but not specifically. Mm-hmm. And I went through all these like different phases of like what I was going to write. I wrote all these different proposals. And I wasn't going to write a memoir, and then I was going to write sort of a memoir, and then I was going to write kind of comedic essays, and then it just became a memoir. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, I I didn't want to write this, like, sad, tragic, hyper-vulnerable, like, tear-inducing memoir because I'm a comedian. I wanted to right. write something fun. Uh, and so I did. I, I, I wrote a significant portion of the book. I put together a proposal. My agent submitted it, and it just got resoundingly rejected. How nice. Yes. How lovely. So your plan is to kind of go back to the drawing board. Well, I'm. you're sort of finding me in a moment of transition, if you will. Um, so, yeah, I spent all this time because my background was in uh, film and television writing mm-hmm. and not prose writing and not memoir writing. So I had to learn how to do that. I had to learn how to write a book. I also was someone who was not used to talking about myself and had to go and like revisit all of these memories. Mm. And then they are, they are sad, tragic memories. And you're like, well, how do I rewrite that where I, I am the fool? How do I write this in a comedic context? Mm -hmm. It's just very difficult to go and do that. And it is, so I, I let these other flames, like I let comedy performing, I let that flame dim, I let television film writing, I let those flames dim. And you spent all this time on the book, and the answer was no. And you're, I got good feedback. People were, they, they, they praised the writing and the voice, but it seemed like the comedy was not quite connecting to people. Right. Because I think in order for comedy connect, to connect, people have to be laughing at shared truths. And I was writing about, you know, growing up trans and transitioning and then, and you know, how to be trans as an adult after sort of like, you know, surgery and hormones and yada, yada, yada. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that the trans experience is still so new to the broad audience and in particular the trans male experience. You right. know, we mostly hear about trans women and trans men are highly, highly, highly invisible. Sure. That's why me, this like dumb asshole who did th- two seasons of a reality show is like the second most visible transgender man in the world. Right? Who's the first? Chaz Bono. Okay, that's what's going to be my guess. <laughs> uh, he's a great dude. He also mentors the kids with me. Oh, nice. Uh, 
So I was writing from this advanced experience as someone who has lived every day of his life as a trans guy and finds humor in that. Right. But people have just no like hook or insight into that experience. So I think the comedy was not hitting. Right. And so were I to rewrite it, and I think at some day I will, I just don't know if that day is today. <laughs> you would need to go and be a lot more exposed and vulnerable and not seeking the joke, but seeking like maybe the harder hitting truth. Right. And you'd have to do, I think, like some explaining. Yeah, you have to give a lot of exposition. And there are just things that I like even I don't have answers for. Sure. And because there is not a lot of art or writing about this experience, it's not like there are even people that you can really work from like you can reinterpret ideas sure. that other people have had so like a thing about me is that i i have always known that there was something amiss with me and when i was very very little i would have told you i'm a boy but then everyone says no you're not no, a you're boy. a girl so you're like looking for a different answer um but mm. like well how can i be like a masculine person and wear football jerseys and cargo shorts in the world and the answer that most readily presents itself is oh well i must be a lesbian mm. right and for me that was more gender identification though I did fuck a lot of chicks. <laughs> right. But right, now right. I am a gay man. And That's like, interesting. Yes. Cuz but all of I mean but gender we, and sexuality are different things, but yes. we tie them up together in so much stuff. So as someone who's searching for answers, you're looking in all the places. Right. And I think the Cuz you're being told the thing that you feel is a no. Like mm -hmm. you're like I'm a boy and people are like no, no, no. no. So you're like okay, let me go. Well then I must be this thing. Let me go try to find what else Right. And I think the the, peop the the query that people have is like, well, how did you go from being a bit of a lady killer? And I did. I saw a lot of women uh, to like, now you sleep with a lot of men and you don't sleep with women anymore. Like, how? Why did that happen? How? Explain that to me. And you're the answer is, I don't know. It just happened. Just happened. And by the time like you've come out as a lesbian and you come out as a transgender man and then like all of a sudden you really aren't into women anymore and you're into men and you're like, oh no, I think my future is as a gay man and that really seems to fit me the best. And that's when I look back on it and add up all the pieces, this seems to be where everything is pointing towards and people want to know why. And you're like, look, I don't know why. All I know is that by the third round of like discovering identity, you just go with it and you don't fight it. And sure. yeah, it, it, and then I am not the only trans guy who has had that experience by and by. Does so is that part of like the not knowing the answers, quote unquote, answers to your own story, part of what makes you feel like maybe you want to wait on doing the book again because you want to try to find those answers or you just feel like people aren't ready well, for I think your it, story? It is. It's, it's learning the way to tell the story because the way the story is told is not like, oh, yes, and now I have this answer to why this right. thing happened to right. me. Right, of course. It's more, life. Right. It's like more like how do you tell the story of like not having any role models? And trying to find your way through and really just doing the best that you can very alone. Right. I think you just, I mean, listen, I like to read a memoir. Just tell the story. I'd love to read your book. <laughs> I'll read it. We'll all, everyone listening will read it. We'll love it. We'll make it happen. Yeah. Well, I think also, you know, yes, now I am able to articulate these things, but it is after months and months and months of therapy and writing and right. like inward internal investigation and going back and, you know, I'm from Oklahoma where we're cowboys and don't have feelings. Mm -hmm. We're wasps and we don't mm -hmm. have feelings. Mm -hmm. Going to learn and revisit memories and actually allow yourself to feel what you felt in that moment when all you were trying to do is just push it down and Not feel. It. Yeah. It's like you're feeling a lifetime of feelings. Right. It's a lot. Yeah. And it's very, very hard to live that way. And it's scary to probably put it all down on paper then. Yes, though I'm less afraid of that. That's good. I've, you know, I, I, I am like I'm an adventure guy. I mm -hmm. love and going and venturing into the unknown mm -hmm. and conquering things. And this time, like for Survivor, it was like all of these external things, like physical right. challenges, starvation, and, and discomfort. And now it's very much like the inward, like the internal adventure of going and learning to not be afraid of being yourself. Right. Okay. Well, when you're ready to write your book, <laughs> you'll come back on and you'll tell us about it. And oh. you'll send me a copy for review One and I'll day. tell all my listeners and readers and everything. Taking care of your health isn't always easy, but it should be at least simple. That's why for the last 
three plus years, I have been drinking AG1 every day, no exceptions. It's just one scoop mixed in water once a day, every day, and it makes me feel nourished and strong enough to tackle whatever else might come my way. That's because each serving of AG1 delivers my daily dose of vitamins, minerals, pre and probiotics, and a lot more. It's a powerful, healthy habit that's also powerfully simple. The nutritional insurance that AG1 provides has been vital to keeping me productive and focused. It helps me cover my bases in just about the time it takes to fill a glass of water, scoop in one scoop of AG1, and then drink it. So I don't know, 75 seconds? With the perfect mix of vitamins, probiotics, and nutrients from Whole Foods, I'm not stuck trying to assemble it all by myself, which would have considerably worse results. AG1 saves me all the time and hassle, and it has made such a difference in my overall mood and especially my gut health, among many other things. But don't take my word for it. Go ahead and try AG1. Let me know what you think. Whether you notice you're needing more nutrient support than you're used to, or you just need an edge for a tough workout, AG1 can be the ticket. If there's one product I had to recommend to elevate your health, it's AG1, and that's why I've partnered with them for so long. If you want to take ownership of your health, start with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3, K2, and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase exclusively at drinkag1.com slash the stacks. That's drinkag1.com slash the stacks. Check it out. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Okay, let's talk about books. Yes, let's talk that's about what books. We're, that's what we're here for nominally, but you know, you're a reader. I am a reader. You like to read. Okay, we're going to just get started with my faves. Well, I say that about all the questions. Um, what are two books that you love and one book that you hate? Sure. So two books that I love are The Quiet American by Graham Greene. Tell us a little bit about it. Uh, so it's uh, – oh. Gosh, it's a great book. I read it. Uh, <laughs> I'm not. It's about this British force for, foreign service worker, so a spy. Okay. Uh, living in Vietnam during the like British and French colonial wars in Vietnam, which preceded our colonial war in Vietnam. Uh, and he is the old soul who has been working in Vietnam and knows the people and the nuances and all the quirks. Mm-hmm. And uh, here shows up this young American foreign service worker spy. Okay who has studied all of the great works and novels of, or great, not novels, all the great like works and books and theories of economic development. And it is the, uh, they're both trying to advance their own agendas. One from the experienced approach and one from the theoretical approach. And I, I read it a few years ago as I was getting out of my, I think collegiate academic experience and realizing that being a human is a much more important way of understanding the world. Mm-hmm. And it's that clash between theory and practice that I really love. Nice. Okay. What's another one? Uh, Kitchen Confidential by Anthony Bourdain. All right. Uh, I love Anthony Bourdain. I was really, so I, uh, so I transitioned in college and it, it came at a time when it was much harder to be a transgender person in the world. Uh, and I got super, super, super severely depressed, mm. and I almost failed out of school. Like, I had to take a year off. Mm. And I I had all these big dreams growing up. Like, I was going to be on the Supreme Court and be president and you know, win an Academy Award. Uh, and I went to Harvard, and I was surrounded by all these brilliant people. And here I was failing. And, like, wow, like, what? All of my dreams are dead. Who can I be? What can I be in the world? And the thing I love about Bourdain's book, aside from I love cooking, and it takes you into this beautiful mm-hmm. world of kitchens, is that – 
Bourdain was also sort of a kid who was smart for too smart for his own good and then fell into problems with addiction and really mm-hmm. lost everything. And then this book was the start of him rebuilding this beautiful career in life. And I it it that's what I wanted for myself too. And I really connected with that experience of like being a fallen smart kid who was gonna need to build something from the bottom up because the traditional path wasn't gonna wasn't work. gonna work. I love that. I've not read the book. I own it, but I've not read it. I'm gonna read it soon. It's it's so much fun. You're making me want to read it like right now. <laughs> okay, what's a book that you hate, or if you don't want to say hate? I oh, know. I don't mind saying it. I hate Great. the the crying of Lot Forty Nine by Thomas Pynchon. I've never even heard of that. Uh, yeah, it's one of his early books. Okay, uh, it's it's assigned in a lot of college classes. Okay. I actually read it in high school. So my brother was an English major. Okay, and it like has read all of Proust and mm-hmm, Getty, and mm-hmm. I just admired the hell out of my brother. Which, sure. Oh, why did I spend all those years? <laughs> anyway, <laughs> uh, it's well, I think like a lot of Pinchon, it's it's very sort of meandering and masturbatory, okay. and it's a book that I thought I should like and tried so hard to like, and thought I wouldn't be smart if I didn't like. But I'm like, no, it's okay that I don't like this. It's okay that I'm just tremendously annoyed with sure. how self gratifying this writing is. I love it. You know, I I'm a big proponent of read what you like and doesn't matter if you don't like something that everyone else thinks is great. I think all the books that people love are like trash. Like the ones you're supposed to like, I would rather just never have to read like a pride and prejudice. Like that's like my nightmare. Um, I didn't like to kill a mockingbird. Anything that happens on an English more. I don't want to read. Not interested. Yeah, Yeah, totally. Um, what's the last great book you read? Uh, can I say less? You can. The book that we're reading, I guess, for the so, next portion of the So next week, we're going to do less on the show. Um, I really loved this book. I'm very excited to talk to you about it because I I had a different opinion, but we'll save all of that for next week. Yes. We'll just say less is by Andrew, Andrew Sean Greer, and it won the Pulitzer this year. And I I think this is one of those books, like I was just saying, I don't like books that people love sometimes. Fair <laughs> enough. I, I will also say as a teaser, I mean, we've already talked about my rejection you know the book is about an author yeah and he gets rejected so i was also experiencing my rejections amongst his and he has a, a a private life situation that's similar to mine i feel like this book we picked this book a while ago to read and i feel like i'm really excited that we did because i think it's like fits really well in it, it your hit, world me and my life at the right time. and i'm i also believe that certain books you have to read them at certain times in your life. And if you read the wrong book at the wrong time, you might think it's garbage. And then you might decide to reread it and be like, this is the greatest book I've ever written. So yeah. I'm glad that this book hit you like in your time. Um, what are you currently reading? All right. So I am working my way through The Last Lion, which is uh, a poem of an autobiography of Winston Churchill, mm. whom I love. And people are like, oh, Winston Churchill, he was a colonialist. He was terrible. Yes, definitely all sure. of those things. But Winston Churchill as a person had an incredible ability to fail and get back up. Yeah. Like he had some of the most epic failures <laughs> and just kept going. And I feel like I struggle with being so burdened by my failures, even little failures. Like yesterday I showed up to do this podcast, even though it was scheduled for today, <laughs> I just read my calendar wrong and like it was with me all day. And I was like, oh, but so yes, uh, I'm working my way through that. And then uh, I'm, I'm just starting White Teeth. Oh, okay. So you're a book polygamist, as they say. Uh, I am also reading two other books right now. What I'm else? reading the sequel to Crazy Rich Asians, okay. which is called China Rich Girlfriend. Okay. Um, and then this uh, another podcaster whom I love, uh, her name is Erin Gibson, Okay. Uh, wrote a, a series of comedic essays called Feminasty. Okay. And I'm also reading that. So yeah, see, I'm a one book pony. You're a, you can read them all, do it yeah. all. Good for you. Um, what are some books that maybe you're looking forward to reading? Uh, so I'm really looking forward to reading Bleak House by Charles Dickens. Oh. Which is, um, I, I'm very interested in this idea of humor and prose, and it's supposed to be one of the funniest novels ever written. Okay. Okay. I'm, I'm, I'm interested in that, too. I want to hear what you think. Um, how do you pick what you're going to read next? So typically, I, when I'm listening to interviews or podcasts mm-hmm. or um, I'm like reading something and someone mentions a book that has inspired them, that's how I, I just go and I put it in my Amazon cart. Okay. And that's that's where I keep my Are books. you on Goodreads? Uh, I'm not. Oh, Goodreads is like this cool app and you can have a I'm familiar a with what it is. I love it. I just have my Amazon system. Okay. I do, it, I do the Goodreads way. But anyways, yeah, I, I do the same thing. I'm like, oh, I need that. Um, what about, what's a book that you love to recommend to people? Uh, so it's a, uh, so I don't, gen- I don't like science fiction. Okay. I, I get why people like Star Trek. I don't like Star Trek. <laughs> Uh, so, uh, 
it's very interesting and it's the sci-fi cyberpunk uh book called snow crash okay by neil stevenson okay uh it's it's uh, it's what takes place in the future okay uh and it's about a world where capitalism has really taken over the country mm-hmm. uh and the whole world is divided up into little fiefdoms that are run by different corporate monopolies and in order to right because everyone just wants to sell you something in order to take in order to like brainwash people there is this digi- this computer virus which they've they've they're they're learning how to weaponize so it's not just affects people's computers but it goes from a computer virus to uh, a virus in for your, your brain because your brain is sort of computer sure uh and the the hero his actual name is his name is hero protagonist uh <laughs> is this like you know cyberpunk guy who is fighting to uh rewire people's brains to be immune to this virus whoa yeah cool it's great if you love history and mythology and uh learning about how your your brain pathways are mapped mm-hmm. it's great That's a good one. i love it okay book. cool and what's the book um or like the last good book someone recommended to you the world according to garp oh yeah someone else had said this book that book on the show a while yeah. ago yeah uh and which looking back on it now so when I had this, this when I was going through the reality show thing, mm-hmm. I had to talk to like the show therapist. Mm. For that was not the therapist they paid to fix me. This was just <laughs> the one they were paying to check in to make sure I wasn't like engaging in self harming behaviors. Right. But I was fine. But we still had to talk for an hour every uh. week, and we just had nothing to talk about. <laughs> so she recommended this book, and she was like, "Well, we can just have our own little book club and talk about the book." That's cute. Uh, and I really enjoyed it. That's nice. Um, what's the last? book that you've received as a gift that you just like loved can i be honest Mm -hmm. i've never received a book as a gift never so growing up in my family uh Uh, my floor my jaw's on the floor people who can't see like i'm i'm like gonna cry no one's ever (gasps) given me actually well my high school history teacher gave me um herodotus herodotus the histories but i didn't read it but i think that's the only book everyone but my family we have this theory about gifts that you're not supposed to give anybody a gift that they haven't previously asked for because um, we don't want to get to know each other well enough sure, to like do to something like- caring like, I think you'd like this. <laughs> so instead, uh, we're all big readers, and what we would do, and this is why we stopped giving gifts to each other at Christmas, is we would just exchange Barnes & Noble gift cards. Cool. And Yeah, so you could go buy whatever book you want. Can wanted. I make you a little bit jealous of my family? Okay. Okay. So our family, we do Secret Santas now. They're all adults for Christmas. And also half of my family, including myself, were Jewish. So like Christmas is very loose. Um, and what we do is we do Secret Santa and you go online and you put three nonprofits that you want money donated in your name. Ooh. And then you give also a book. Aww. So we pick random books for people. And then afterwards I take notes and I send all the books out to everybody. So we, everybody donates $50 and then gives a book. So you have something to open. Aww. Can't request the book. The book is just whatever the person who's giving wants to give you yeah but the the nonprofit you get to pick three that you're excited about and they pick one and then they present it so it's like I picked Planned Parenthood because da 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 or like I picked the Equal Justice Initiative and like we're really just like liberal heart like booky nerdy lovers I I love that (laughs) I used to give books as gifts all the time because I thought oh no this person will they'll really like this book or this this person needs to read this book at this point in their life and I would give the book and people would just kind of be like Oh, thanks. A book, and they would never read it. Try again because books are like really in right now, is what people are telling me. (laughs) Maybe it's because I have a book podcast, but everybody keeps telling me this. (laughs) Um, Okay. Do you set reading goals for yourself? I do set reading goals. Talk about it. Uh, Well, at the beginning of the year, I said, Well, I want to read a book a week. I want to read 52 books. But that only works if you're reading books that you can read within a week. And I'm mm-hmm. kind of a slow reader. Okay. Uh, so I set uh, time, like how much time I want to spend reading a day. Mm. So is it an hour? Is it 30 minutes? Is it um, – that's typically how I try to – Or like, like it. 10 hours a week, whatever. That's good. That's good because, yeah, it depends on how big the book is. Yeah. And it also if you're a book polygamist as I. Right. You know, it, you might not – might be jumping between books right but then at the end you end up finishing like four books at once and you're like yeah Yeah. (laughs) that's cool um how do you organize your books uh so i recently moved i moved here a little over a year ago from new york and i had to rebuy all of my furniture Mm. and i thought like well i don't want to buy like a stupid ikea bookshelf i want to buy like a bookshelf i really like 
but I haven't purchased it yet. Cool. So my living room is entirely decorated with stacks of books and I sort them by genre. Oh my God. You're gonna have to take a picture and send it to me so I can post it. But it's like two walls and they're all just different, like, you know, wonky stacks of books. Oh my God, please send me. I love that. That's awesome. Any genres that you love or that you avoid? I know you said science fiction is not something that you generally like. Anything else? Yeah. As far as things I avoid, contemporary political nonfiction. So any of these books that are written about the Trump White House. Sure, like Fear. Right. Omarosa. Or if anyone who is like, I don't know, like an NBC political pundit. Like if Rachel sure. Maddow wrote a book about the current political climate, sure. I wouldn't. Like books that I that have no shelf life, Yeah, I don't want to read them. That's true. Uh, I think they're also just flaming wars to try yeah. to sell products. I'm with you. I'm not wild about those. But I love, um, I love books about war and mm-hmm. the military. What's a favorite or maybe two? Uh, sure. So I think a book that everyone should read, actually, it's called One Bullet Away. It okay. was by Nathaniel Fick. And he is a Dartmouth grad who, out of Dartmouth, joined the Marines as an officer. I think probably most of your listeners might not know the difference between being enlisted and being an officer. Mm -hmm. And what he illustrates so beautifully is what it is like to be in the military. Mm -hmm. Uh, And he joined before 9-11, but ends up being part of the invasion of Iraq. And, um, you know, we've been fighting a continuous war. They're different wars, but we've been constantly at war for 17 years. Mm -hmm. And we don't think about it. We're just so attenuated to what war is. I also think most people don't have someone in their lives who has served and we don't understand what going to war or what being in the military does to people right but that it's such a huge part of our culture and in particular the way our government spends money sure and the flag and the anthem and the troops all play this role in dividing you know dividing us as a country and i think we do need to be more attuned to the the the, the effect that war has right. on other people and it is a great book to start understanding what that experience is. One bullet away. One bullet I'm going to read that. I, I also love war books. Yeah. I've Anything written about the Navy SEALs or Army Special sure. Operations, I've read it. Have you read a, The Good Soldiers? Yes. So good. Yes. I loved that book. Yes. <laughs> uh, also, Dick Couch, he writes all these like investigations into Special Forces training, and I love that too. Okay. I'm, I'm so into it. I love it. Um, let's see. Oh, okay. So because you're our LGBTQ guest today- yes. Let's talk about LGBTQ books. Sure, sure. I, Do you read any? I don't read a lot. Not a lot. Any that you that stick out that you might like or yeah, love? Well, there are two that I think are great. Okay. Um, uh, so one is if you're looking to learn more about transgender people, there's this book called Transgender History mm-hmm. written by Susan Stryker about okay. like the history of the transgender movement and why we exist in the form that we exist today. Okay. Because transgender people have always existed. Sure. But we haven't always had the like – medical social legal like cultural access that we have now and how like how we evolved from what we evolved from like if i didn't if i lived uh during the the civil war times what my life would have looked like is very different and she talks about that in the book yes oh my god i'm so excited that sounds awesome okay what's the other one the other one is a is a, a book that came out recently and i'm it's called my life as a goddess okay and it's by this comedian named guy branham oh yeah and uh so funny great look into popular culture i also uh as sort of a an outsider gay guy myself i love so guy branham is fat and i don't think i'm i'm not being mean by saying that he identifies as fat and to be a gay guy who is not white slim muscled and perfect right navigate this world it's a it's its own experience and guy does such a great job of encapsulating that's awesome. That book just came out like recently. Yeah, it came out I think a couple months ago. Yeah, I think I think that's right. Um, what's the last book that made you laugh? My Life Is a Goddess by Guy Branham. Perfect. What's the last book that made you angry? Uh, Crazy Rich Asians. Go ahead. Well, <laughs> so, so, so I grew up in Oklahoma, which is a state that was literally con- invented overnight. Uh-huh. Um, so a little bit of background: No one was living there, and then uh, the the white people in the South wanted more land, so they kicked all of the Native Americans out of the South, and they put them in Oklahoma, which at the time they called Indian Territory. Mm-hmm. And then uh, the Native Americans, who are holders of black slaves, sided with the Confederacy. Mm. Uh, and as a result, all of their treaties were renegotiated, and they lost a bunch of land. And so there was a bunch of unassigned land that the government wanted to give to white people. And so they had a thing called a land run mm-hmm. in 1889, which – 
meant that they divvied up all this land into different plots and they said come here and on this day we're going to shoot a gun and you can run and go and claim a plot of land and literally overnight oklahoma became a state so where i live there is no such thing as old money or storied families mm-hmm. everyone is new trash money got it uh and in crazy rich asians it's about how you know important families and mm-hmm. all this like oh, the, these crazy ways that people like spend money and have class and status and it, it's, it's so stupid and foreign to me. <laughs> so it just pissed you off but go see the movie yeah go see the i saw it yeah. um what about last week you feel like you learned a lot i also felt like i learned a lot in crazy rich Asians. sure I, like, I did too i loved it i thought the movie was so good i had such a good time yeah i particularly think the guy who plays oliver is really awesome why do you think that? Because he's my boyfriend. Oh, wow. Hashtag sponsored ad. <laughs> <laughs> um, he actually is really fucking good in the movie. So he's funny. Hilarious. He's so he's funny. Um, okay. Are there any books that you feel proud about having read? Um, yes. So in high school, I got into college early and nobody else did. So they were all nobody. We were assigned to read uh, uh, A Crime and Punishment, Oh, which is a tome. It's like 900 dense russian pages and i read all of it and it might have been the only book i read cover to cover in high school okay so not the first person to use that book as your book you're proud to have read (laughs) the first three guests i had on the show all three of them picked giant russian novels as they're proud so you're part of a very important tradition here at the stacks but i (laughs) and i do i have all of these big books in my apartment oh gosh i really want to read that one day like uh uh Oh, oh, uh, what is it? Uh, Count of Monte Crisco. Oh, yeah. I've had That's a my, massive one. I've had my show. And I, I really want to read it, but I'm like, I don't know. My next big book, I'm going to do it in October, Executioner Song by Norman Mailer. Oh. Thousand pages, true crime. Yeah. Can't fucking wait. Um, okay, what's a book that you feel embarrassed about having read? I have read Tim Tebow's autobiography. <gasps> that is so embarrassing. It's very embarrassing. <laughs> Okay, what about a book you feel embarrassed that you've never read? Um, I've never read or seen on stage or on screen, Hamlet. Oh, I've done it all the ways. Yeah, I, mm. I, I'm very embarrassed. I don't like Hamlet. <laughs> sure, I'm not <laughs> but saying you don't, I would you like don't it, know. but I'm like, goodness, especially a person who does dramatic writing, and I've never read Hamlet. Which You'll is... read it. It's, you know, they're plays. They take like five hours to read, even if you're a slow reader, because I read them all out loud to myself. Oh. They don't. I mean, Hamlet might take like six hours. I've got it. Do it. Just like I've never read Infinite Jest, but I've got it. Oh, I've never. That's not on my list, though. Um, what about your favorite book assigned to you in school? Um, oh, because, I, because I've just said it was the only one I've really ever read. <laughs> the Crime, Crime and punishment. punishment. Okay, if you were a teacher in high school right now, what's a book that you would assign to your students? I would assign How to Win Friends and Influence. Mm. Uh, which people might hear and be like, oh, isn't that a book about manipulation or like salesman tactics? It's a book about how to be a human being. Sure. Like the the essence of that book is uh, be nice to people, mm-hmm. like greet people with a smile, like be excited to see them, be interested into what they're saying and remember details about them. Right. It's about how to be an engaging person. And I think now because everyone looks at their screens all the time. Yeah. And also at no point in our education are we given any sense of like, how do we actually go and interact with other How people? How do we move in the world? It's a great book. That's a great – I like that. That's a really good answer. Um, what's a book where you saw yourself reflected back? Less. Okay. The book we're talking about. I, I, Sorry. Like I said, I read this book at the right moment it's in my right life. It's the right moment I'm very excited life. about it. I'm excited to talk about it. Okay. Do you have any favorite authors? Uh, yes. I love Graham Greene. So I love a spy novel. Right. I also have a fondness for British authors. I think – Brits understand I mean the English understand the English language mm-hmm. they have a they have just such a more musical grasp and use of it that I like I find American authors sometimes a li- like a little bit jarring but a British author just like who's in my ear <laughs> you're such an elitist I love it sorry <laughs> okay this is the last one my one of my favorites I like to start and end on my favorite if you could rec- require not just recommend, require the current president of the these United States of America mm-hmm. to read one book, what would it be? So the book is Encountering God okay. by Diana Eck. Okay. So fun fact, I studied religion in college. Okay. And all religion, comparative religion, world uh, religion. Yeah, you had to touch on everything. Just everything. But okay. my focus was Christianity. Okay. Uh in the Bible and 
all that good stuff. The history of Christian, you know, theology and interpretation. Uh, but this book is was written by the head of the religion department at Harvard, Diana Eck, uh, and she is she is a practicing Christian. Uh, she is also a lesbian, and she is one of the most well renowned scholars of Hinduism. And so the book is about this concept of pluralism, mm-hmm. uh, and it's the idea that in the United States we have all these people who practice with devotion, all of these different faiths, and often they live right next door to each other, mm-hmm. and it is about how beautiful that is and how we need to like, allow people to be different and we need to engage with them across tradition. And that it doesn't mean we need syncretic religion, meaning that like we all believe the same thing or right. we're all just like taking pizza, pizza of what we like. No, people can have sincerely held beliefs and be good neighbors and live next door to each other. It's about how to cooperate with people who believe different things. And I think that's what the world needs to understand right now. I think that sounds like a good book, not just for the president, but for everyone. Yeah. If you have neighbors, even if they live a few miles away. Yeah. That's awesome. I love that. Okay. Zeke, I will let you have the last word. Is there anything else you want to say about reading or books or anything? Uh, I always want to say I, I'm a slow reader, mm-hmm. and that's okay. It's okay okay to be a slow reader. You don't need to be embarrassed about that. I'm with you fully. I'm a slow reader too. Okay, so that's Zeke Smith, everybody. He and I will be back next week discussing Less by Andrew Sean Greer. And I can say this pretty confidently. There will be spoilers next week. So make sure you read the book before you listen. Um, And yeah, that's that. Thank you so much, Zeke. Thank you. And thank you guys for listening. We will see you in the stacks. That's all for today. Thank you guys so much for listening. And thank you to our guest, Zeke Smith. Zeke will be back next week to discuss Less by Andrew Sean Greer. Remember, you can join the Stacks Pack and be a part of creating this podcast and earn awesome perks by going to patreon.com slash the stacks and contributing as little as a dollar a month. Make sure you're subscribed to the show wherever you get your podcasts. And if you're listening through Apple Podcasts, please rate and review the show. Oh, don't forget to tell your bookish friends about us. Our graphic designer is Robin McCright, and our theme music is from Tagirajis. This show was created and produced by me, Tracy Thomas. 